Hello and welcome. I'm your host, David, and this is episode two of the Brain Behind Bars podcast. It's time to unlock the cell of this next episode. Now, last session, we gave context to the men imprisoned in America living with a mental disability. Today, I would like to look beyond just the name of the disorder to best address the features and prevalence that meets the criteria for a given disorder. The resources for this podcast largely will come from the DSM-5. This is a text also known as the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the fifth edition. We use this uh, really because it's what many of the professionals in the psychological world use. You can consider it like the Holy Grail, the Rosetta Stone for psychology. So in reference to a lot of uh, how I will speak on this diagnosis, it will come from the DSM-5. Research articles have been identified as well and will be referenced to give credibility and validity to the statements made on my podcast. As the audience listens, it's important to remember that the symptoms and pain talked about in this podcast are experienced by real people. We will handle this conversation with care and empathy as we better understand the lives of these people who find themselves in prison. Let's begin by reviewing schizophrenia spectrum and other psychotic disorders. I have mentioned in the first episode, I had mentioned in the first episode, two of the five domains. Those two were delusions or belief stories and hallucinations or vivid perceived like experience. The other domains are as follows. Disorganized thinking, which can be considered speech, talking. Grossly disorganized or abnormal motor behavior and negative symptoms, which can be considered no emotional expression. Within this group of psychotic disorders, there is a criteria set to distinguish between the type it is, the medication for the treatment, and the time frame of the features that help identify what the client is experiencing. Putting it plainly, this can be rather meticulous. Uh, but surgeons cannot complain that there are too, min- too much tissue by the vein. Similarly, a psychiatrist cannot just peek and pick a diagnosis by appearance. Time and exposure will help a care provider see what a patient is going through and what assistance they need to get their freedom back. Under this spectrum, the DSM speaks on episodes, meaning severe symptoms of any of the five domains. Uh, The five domains that I brought up prior. Scientists rank the severity of the symptom as being acute or low, partial or medium, and full are high levels of symptom expression. A person can have multiple episodes 
continuous episodes or unspecified episodes, meaning there's no real distinct end or beginning. A counselor will use these features along with time to make concluding diagnosis. When we consider the inmate population, care providers work with the information given to them. For many, they can be unres- many uh, inmates, they can be unresponsive and anxious to the doctor. Many others who find themselves in jail no longer have friend or family support uh, to confer life history and get genetic factors. We heard in the first episode about John Rudd, who had a diagnosis of schizophrenia. This is the most commonly heard about, still not understood among the general population, though. Let's talk about it. Two or more of the domains present during, uh, must be present during a one-month period. For example, we just talked about the domains, uh, delusions, hallucinations, and disorganized speech. These symptoms hinder major areas of personal functioning, like work, social life, self-care, relationships, and more. The distinction of this disorder, as opposed to others, that there, there are no signs of major depression nor manic episodes. And if you're not certain what a manic episode is, don't worry, we will talk about that soon. Right now, I just want to continue to move, move along with schizophrenia. Uh, This can also not be attributed to a use of a substance. Um, Again, somebody who has a diagnosis of schizophrenia has not ingested or somehow used a substance to get to a uh, hallucination state. Uh, These are not people experimenting with psychedelic drugs, for example. These people have a disorder that... uh, gets them to experience these states uh, without any substance. An episode and severity are used after one year duration of the disorder. So scientists need more time before they can simply just say someone has schizophrenia. So a year is used in order to give the proper diagnosis. I wanted to also add brief psychotic disorder as a diagnosis in the DSM as well. This is a helpful tool for counselors in a hostile prison setting because it can be specified uh, using stressors in life situations that can spark a disturbance in brain functioning. The time span is at least one day, but less than one month. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit more about some articles that I have used in order to uh, reference what population we're talking about, the male inmate population. A study in 2011 was done to identify men at ultra high risk of psychosis in a prison population. It reads, to men, I'm sorry, to meet ultra high risk, criteria they looked at peak age groups associated with first episode psychosis. These ages were between 14 and 35 and should meet at least one of the 
of the three other criteria. First degree relative with psychosis or uh, schizotypal personality disorder. Uh, that's a, a, a type of schizophrenia that is uh, aligned with a personality disorder. Reduce psychotic symptoms and psychotic episodes lasting seven days or less that resolves itself spontaneously combined with a significant drop in functioning. I wanted to address that one first because as prisoners enter into a prison system, a jail system, their environment is completely changed. Whatever they lived with growing up with that uh, they're used to is now been totally dropped a bomb on. Um, they have no personal rights and personal freedoms and uh, a right to space. I can only imagine the, the, the type of stress or the, 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 the state of mind somebody can be in when you're, when you're in jail, and especially when you're dealing with a mental disorder that you don't have control over and that leads you into a worse hellish state. This study talked about the ultra high risk and I, I found it important to add because the brief psychotic disorder was interesting because it it adds a layer to the psychiatric disorders. Um, it's something that's brief. It's something that as a child you may not know you're susceptible to, whether it's through genes or through your environment. Um, but it's important to know whether or not we are breaking people while in jail, that we're not doing more harm while they're incarcerated. And so the to address the brain behind bars, I wanted to speak on the brief psychotic disorder. Another study in 2007 titled Observational Cross-Sectional Pilot Study of Adherence with Antipsychotic Medication in People with Schizophrenia or Schizoaffective Disorders in Prison. Basically, they wanted to give their population medication and see whether or not they would continue to use it. One statement within the study found that prisoners were actually had higher attitudes, uh, higher positive attitudes towards treatment and reported more side effects than in the community samples, although such side effects did not appear to affect adherence. So what we're finding is they're okay with receiving uh, treatment, the, the men in this study. They were okay with receiving treatments, but they had more side effects. They ended up um, you know, gaining more weight or feeling more lethargic or not being uh, very engaged or interested in anything at all. Um, but those side effects did not affect their willingness to continue to take the medication. We uh, dabble more into why that is in the next statement from the study. The lack of meaningful activity and associated boredom may result in prisoners welcoming sedation as a side effect. Similarly, other side effects that would normally impact on functioning in the general population 
like weight gain, may not have such a marked effect on prison population. I can imagine you don't care as much what you look like when you're in jail, but what is the quality of life? What is the quality of uh, mental thought? And uh, is there things being sacrificed? In this study, the mental disorders did not correlate with the with them continually using medication. Uh, They reported a a study that showed that the efficacy of the treatment was the most important factor affecting medication adherence. Basically what they are saying is the way that the medications and the treatments were being delivered to them, whether it was in a humane way, it was in um, in a personal way, it felt like they actually cared, was their uh, hopefulness to continue to use the medication. They, they had a, a better feeling about taking their medication as long as they were being talked to in a humane way. Now, I want to transition into bipolar disorder. It's now in the mainstream culture to say or call someone bipolar. If someone loves chocolate today, then says that they don't like it the next, we say that they're bipolar. And that's not right at all. But I get their point. You see, there are two main features of bipolar. There's manic, which I had spoke on earlier. Manic is a type of persistent elevated mood an abnormal energy level, a goal-directed uh, and goal-directed behavior lasting about a week. The the type of characteristics you'll see in somebody who's manic is they have, they have a very inflated self-esteem. They feel very good about themselves and what they're capable of. They have a, a decreased need for sleep, and they're much more talkative than usual. Again, there's a longer list, but I'd like to get. Uh, to the journal articles sooner than later. The follow-up after a manic state comes with depression or a depressive state. Depression you can think of as a sad mood. Uh, It's low interest. It comes with sleep problems as well, usually uh, more sleep. Uh, As well, slow body movements and uh, a lot of fatigue. There is a bipolar one and a bipolar two. For the sake of this podcast, we will label bipolar two as having more sad features with less high manic presence. And looking at our current population, a study in 2005 addressed the clinical and legal characteristics of inmates with bipolar. It said, in quote, A recent screening survey for bipolar disorder that used the Mood Disorders Questionnaire found that 26% of men who screened positive for bipolar disorder had a history of arrest for charges other than driving under the influence. This is relevant. Um, We've spoke earlier about arrest rates and 
uh, mental disorders. And it's, it's said largely that people with mental illness are um, um, offenders of low felonies and misdemeanors. Uh, similar in this study, um, they found that they are more likely to be arrested, but they're not for uh, high felony charges. The study also found the prevalence of bipolar one disorder is six times higher in prisons than in the community at large. In the United States, the number of individuals with chronic severe mental disorders in jails and prisons has increased dramatically during the past 30 years. Wow. Wow, audience. Why are we here? Why are we talking about brains behind bars? We want to put the urgency back in mental health care. We want to validate the importance of people's lives and humanize people who may not be deemed fit for society, but are still just like everyone else seeking for freedom. As we move along, I'd like to talk about this next disorder, but to talk about this, uh, I want to recognize it in the family of neurodevelopmental disorders. You can think of these as brain learning disorders. This next disorder is autism spectrum disorder. This is a diagnosis seen as having long-term deficit in social communication and social interaction across history and context. This begins in the childhood, it just begins in childhood and expands across uh, a person's life. Some features, not all, uh, include uh, problems sharing emotion and interests, problems with nonverbal body language and facial expressions, difficulty changing behavior based on context, holding and understanding relationships. Another set of features based on restrictions are the repetitive patterns of behavior, like movements and speech, and insistence on sameness or unable to, unable to use nuance and behavior patterns and hyperactivity to the environment, environmental changes, textures, smells, and feelings. Now that's a lot to put in context, and I understand. Putting it plainly, there are spectrums of people who at our different severity levels. The DSM talks about it as level one being required support, level two being required substantial support, and level three requiring very substantial support. As you can see, each level is there for reasons, there for uh, training healthcare providers to understand where that person is and if they are on that list, will they ever end up in a prison and how were they treated while there? Well, I wanted to address a study in 2016 on autism spectrum disorder traits among prisoners.
The study found that it's common for individuals with significant autism spectrum disorder traits to remain unrecognized in adulthood, a barrier to assessment, diagnosis, and intervention leads to an important factor that it's important for assessments of autism to take place in adult populations, particularly in those in high risk, including criminal justice and mental health services. Again, the Brain Behind Bars podcast emphasizes the importance of reconsidering and reevaluating the current population that are in the incarcerated prisons. Going back to the article, it found a considerable number of male prisoners who had significant levels of ASD traits, some of whom had not been recognized by a community of prison services. ASD traits appeared to be normally distributed among our sample and the mean total scores were not significantly different than that found in national sample of male adults of the same age range. It's a little bit of jargon in there, a little bit of uh, statistical terms normally distributed. Well, what does that mean for the general population? The article also talked about how uh, it's about 1% of the population are known to have autism spectrum disorder. However, the male to female ratio is around three to one. And so along with that, um, single men are much more likely to uh, be found with ASD in older age. We talk about this and we address this. It's important because how a person ends up in prison, um, of course, any violent or uh, acts of aggression need to be addressed. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in the first podcast, nonviolent offenders, uh, people in drug abuse or uh, theft, we really need to reevaluate, reassess who these individuals are and do they need correctional facilities or do they need treatment and help? It is the goal of this podcast to to give voice to the voiceless and to give insight into people who have been left aside. As we look onto the next episode, the next session, we'll speak more and give conclusion to a hope and a future for where we can take our current criminal justice system. I thank you for listening today. And this has been the brain behind bars.